Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Hear, O heavens, and hearken, O earth, for Jehovah has spoken. I have brought up children, and I have raised them, and yet they have rebelled against me. These are the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah as he begins his book of prophecy. God's people have rebelled, and their righteous and loving father, after confronting them with his complaints, begins the work of chastising and drawing this stubborn people back to himself. How does God deal with his own when they stray? And what can we see from this ancient account that's meaningful for us today as we live the Christian life? Stay with us for our Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Today brings us to the second of our Life Study programs on the book of Isaiah, and joining us today, Ron Kangas. Ron, I'm really happy that we can have you with us as we're still just at the beginning of this Life Study. I'm also happy to be here to enter into this beginning in coordination with you. Ron, though we will not spend a lot of time on the history concerning Isaiah, I think it would be helpful to get a little background to help us understand what's coming. By this time, by Isaiah's time, Israel had already divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah with Jerusalem in the south. Why is it that in this book we see Jehovah mainly refer to Judah and not so much to Israel? Well, let's put it this way. We know when the Lord made this decision after the departure of Solomon that there would be a kind of judgment on the way he ended up and upon the attitude of his son as the new king. So ten tribes formed the northern nation of Israel, but the tribe of Judah was preserved especially to maintain what the word calls the light or the testimony related to David the king and to so many prophecies concerning Christ as a descendant of David according to the flesh. Therefore, Judah, in this context, is more important than Israel, which was in a basically in a state of degradation and desolation with golden calf idols set up by Jeroboam and a divisive worship center and all kinds of things. So the Lord dealt with Israel first through the Assyrians. But Judah's situation turned out to be even much worse. 
So more attention has to be given, and this is the crucial word here, to the chastisement of God's people for the sake of God's ultimate purpose of recovering at least a remnant to carry out his intention on earth. And also, positively, there are the prophecies concerning the coming of the Christ, our Lord Jesus. So this book, Isaiah, is going to focus on Judah almost exclusively. So this, in brief, are some basic elements of the background. Ron, of course, in addition to Israel and Judah, which are really one category of people, God's people, there's another category that play a big role in this book, and that is the nations or the Gentiles, those whom have rejected God and those whom seemingly he has rejected. In this portion, we're going to see that God has two different ways of dealing with these two categories of people. Here's Witness Lee. This section is on the salvation of Jehovah to his beloved people and the nations. I use the word beloved particularly for God's people. Isaiah opens up with the father's complaint against his children Israel. God came in to complain. In this point, I should uh, add something to uh, help you to understand the matter of uh, judgment, the matter of uh, chastisement. Two things you have to know and you have to uh, differentiate. Number one, the chastisement. And number two, the judgment. On this earth, there are two classes of people. God's elect, Israel. They are God's chosen people. Number two, the nations, the Gentiles. They are God-given up people. Both are related to God because both of them were created by God. And the first part, the elect, is God's beloved people. God deals with them always in love. Then the second part, the nations, seemingly God gave them up, but for the long run, no. God does have another chosen people among the nations. That is the believers of the New Testament to constitute the body of Christ, which is much, much more crucial to God than Israel to God. Within God, he has his intention. He uh, dealt with not only Israel, but also the nations. Now, I'd like to tell you this. God, when he comes to deal with people, he deals with people also, always according to what he is. The entire Bible shows us that God is number one, holy. Number two, righteous. He is the holy one. He is the righteous one. Even to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, God's dealing 
with people is based upon his holiness and righteousness. Because he's holy, so he deals with his people. Because he's just, he's righteous, so he deals with the nations. What God wanted is Israel to be holy. And what God wanted the nation to be was to be righteous, to be just. Based upon these two points, you can see how God dealt with each of the two respectively. So Ron, we've just seen that God has one way to deal with his people, Israel, and another way of dealing with the nations. In the early chapters in Isaiah, he has a lot of detailed complaints against both groups. But help us to understand why God dealt with one group, Israel, in the way of chastisement and the nations in the way of judgment. Uh, This is an important matter to consider, not only in the outward actions of chastisement and judgment, but much more important as these actions are related to the nature of God. We know that God created humanity in Genesis to express him and represent him. Eventually, after the fourth stage of the fall at the Tower of Babel, human government was used to unite people to rebel against God. God made a decision to temporarily not work directly on the nations as a whole, but to have a called people, the people of Israel, to be his means to fulfill his purpose and ultimately to recover the chosen among the nations. So there were, in the time of Isaiah, these two categories of people on the earth. With the people of God, to be very exact, there is not judgment, rather there is chastisement. And with the nations... There is judgment because they are in a different situation. What accounts for this difference? Let's consider in relation to chastisement and judgment is the nature of God, especially in the attributes of holiness and righteousness. God's people, Israel, were chosen to be separated to God, to be holy unto God. So their failures were mainly in relation to holiness. Because they were the chosen nation, because they were separated to be holy, God chastised them according to his attribute of holiness and dealt thoroughly, even severely, with anything and everything contrary to his holy nature. But the nations are subject to God's judgment. And we know, just to take a peek at the book of Revelation, God will eventually vindicate himself in his righteousness, by judging all the ungodly peoples on the earth, in particular, all the nations. 
So back to Isaiah. The nations are judged according to God's righteousness. So God dealt with them in light of his attribute of righteousness, judging thoroughly anything unjust and unrighteous. To vindicate himself as the righteous God and to deal with thoroughly the unrighteousness among humankind, among the nations. So these two kinds of dealings, chastisement and righteousness, correspond to two primary attributes of God, holiness and righteousness. This is very enlightening to see regarding his holy nature and God's people being chosen and sanctified, even they were predestinated to be holy, that elicits chastisement, that the unholy things would be purged and we would turn to God to fulfill his intention that we be a holy people. Then anything unrighteous, as among the nations, elicits the judgment of God, not chastisement. So Brother Lee uses these terms accurately and precisely, and we do well to understand them clearly and recognize the difference between God's chastisement for holiness and judgment in relation to righteousness. Ron, he also commented that God deals with his people not just according to what he does, either to chastise or to judge, but according to what he is. He is holy and he is righteous. These are absolutes with him, aren't they? They are absolute because they're part of God's nature, God's character. These are crucial attributes. God must be true to what he is. And he must relate to his people, Israel in this case, and to the nations according to what he is. He deals with both believers and unbelievers alike, first and primarily according to what he is, according to his holiness and righteousness. We need to know God and respect and honor him as the holy and righteous one. Well, as we look at God's people Israel and his attempt to bring them into that holiness, we see that he has a mighty task before him. We're going to see just how low they had fallen in this coming portion. Here's Witness Lee. I'm not Isaiah. I cannot give you an account so descriptive as he did. So you have to go to his writing. I just pick up some points from all his writings. Just these points are good enough to see how corrupt Israel became. What kind of iniquities they have and what kind of corruptions they practice. Number one, a sinful nation. Altogether, Israel was a sinful nation. A people heavy with iniquity. We should be heavy with holiness. 
we should not be happy with iniquity, but Israel was happy in iniquity. And number two, having forsaken Jehovah, having despised their Holy One, they are called to be holy, yet they uh, despised the caller, their Holy One. Number three, rulers of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah. Their rulers were just like those of Sodom, and their people were just like those of Gomorrah. Number four, Jehovah does not delight in their sacrifices. God did not delight in that because they were so evil. Five, the city of Jerusalem has become a harlot, prostitute, and justice and righteousness are absent. Now, number six, Jerusalem stumbles and Judah falls because their speech and actions are against Jehovah. What they spoke, what they acted, they were against Jehovah. Number seven, the elders and the rulers of Jehovah's people have consumed the vineyard. They damaged the vineyard. And the spoil of the poor is in their houses. Number eight, some of the people of Israel rise earlier in the morning that they may run after liquor and uh, linger into the evening that wine may inflame them. We are sitting here around God's word and before God. We should consider about ourselves in the light of this word. How are we? And how do we behave ourselves in the morning and in the evening? Ron, we just heard beginning from chapter 1 and verse 4, quite a comprehensive account with many specific complaints that God brings up towards his people Israel. And these paint a pretty bleak picture. But I was taken with verse 3. It immediately precedes this description of their fallen condition. Verse 3 says, The ox knows his owner, and the donkey his master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not much consider. Ron, there's a very real connection between what is portrayed in verse 3 and the low estate into which Israel had fallen. It seems this should be a clear warning to us as well. It should be a clear warning. Yes, we emphasize strongly, as the New Testament does, we are saved by the grace of God through faith. Salvation is a wonderful gift with the forgiveness of sins and the imparting of eternal life through regeneration. But this does not exempt us from God's dealings with us according to what he is. His dealings with Israel in many ways, as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians, portray his dealings with the believers and with the church today. So although God is merciful and gracious and kind and loving, we should not lose sight of the fact he is holy and righteous. And being true to his nature, 
He must deal with us according to what he is in order to gain us for the fulfillment of his purpose. Ron, we have a wonderful conclusion to the program today. We've been focusing on what a poor condition Israel had fallen into and how Jehovah, through the prophet Isaiah, was dealing with it. But this last portion is going to bring this word into an application for us that we dare not miss. Let's again join Witness Lee. Could you believe that God's people, Israel, eventually they became such a people, not knowing God at all? I am not that eloquent as Isaiah. According to Isaiah's description, that's terrible. If you would be quiet and consider your situation, when you are even seeking after the Lord, sometimes some of these evil things did rise up in our daily life. This is why the Lord told us we have to watch and pray. In my prayer, I made confessions more than other things. So when you are in the light, you could see mostly all the defects, the failures, the shortcomings, wrongdoings, mistakes, all kinds of things like this. You have to confess again and again and again. This always reminds me that in the Old Testament, whenever God's people wanted to offer to him something, whether burnt offering, or peace offering, or this offering, that offering, they always have to combine with these offerings the sin offering, trespass offering. All the time you have to remember that you are sinful. As long as we still live on this earth, in this old creation, we have to realize we are sinful. So we need to confess all our sinfulness. Then God would have a way to favor us, to grace us. If we are going to realize Christ, we need to be a people that really know sin to such an extent. Don't forget, we are the called one, and we are God's holy people. What God wants us to be just to be holy as he is. Brother Ron, this touched me very personally, and I would say very deeply. This portrait of Israel's poor condition really has a lot to say about our own condition before the Lord, if we're in the light. But the crucial thing is how we were just guided into the right way to deal with what God exposes in us. Ron, I'm very eager to hear what you have to say about this. Well, what I would say is based upon uh, the New Testament teaching, and I'm thinking especially of the Apostle John in his first epistle. We have been born of God. We are children of God. We have a life relationship with God. That life relationship cannot be lost. It's irrevocable. We have been born of him. We cannot be unborn. But there's the matter of our living and the degree of our fellowship with him. And when we are drawn off 
and are distracted to love the world and the things of the world, or when we sin and fail, we are living contrary to his righteousness and holiness. And this surely has the effect of severely damaging, if not temporarily suspending, our fellowship in life. So the Apostle John, in the first chapter of 1 John, tells us what to do. When we are in the light, as God is in the light, we confess. And that Greek word means to speak the same thing. In other words, we are contacting God. He enlightens us. He points out specific failures, sins, offenses, trespasses in our conduct, in our living, then on our part is to agree and to confess by saying the same thing. Yes, Lord, I thought that. Yes, Lord, I said that. I did that. I confess this to you. Then the Lord is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from our sins. To be brief, the crucial matter is confessing. Whenever we are enlightened, whenever we are convicted, we confess. This opens the way for our fellowship to be restored. God enlightens us. In a very real sense, he judges that sin. We agree with him. We also judge that very same thing. We make confession, then the righteous and faithful God cleanses us, forgives us, and restores our fellowship. This is what we can learn from his dealing with Judah. Well, Ron, it's unmistakable that Isaiah's early chapters paint a very dark backdrop regarding Israel and the nations. But as we just saw in today's program, that black background gives way to a bright and very positive way forward for us. I'm really looking forward to how this life study progresses and also to having you with us for many of these programs. And we invite you to contact us with your comments or questions. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Or send email to radio at lsm.org. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. We have these recorded studies on every book of the Bible, available to you online, free of charge. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. You can download the MP3 files, stream them live, or add them to your podcast subscriptions, all at no charge. Once more, the website, lsmradio.com. To contact us, send email to radio at lsm.org or call us at one triple eight life study that's 888-543-3788 thanks for listening today